Welcome to the second episode of uh, the State of the Net podcast. I'm Paolo Valdemarini. And I'm Ewan Semple. And today we are recording farther away than a couple of weeks ago because I'm in Italy in Studio One of the <laughs> State of the Net podcast. Uh, you mean, a, you mean a, cupboard, is, a cupboard? Yeah, it's, uh, in, I'm sitting in my wardrobe <laughs> because it's the only place I could f- quiet enough for recording in my house. No, it's really because you've been a very naughty boy, isn't it, Paolo? Let's be honest. Yeah, and, and also we, I was struggling with the, with the recording today because uh, uh, I have upgraded uh, both my iPhone and my Mac with the latest beta version of the operating system. Uh-huh. So I'm running now Mojave on my Mac, and of course that broke a whole number of things, and uh, so the recording was a bit difficult. So I, I hope that this will come out right. Uh, but, uh, you know, I just can't resist. Every time there is a new beta version, I have to install it, and I find it so exciting. No, I'm the same. It's like, it's like Christmas coming early, isn't it? I love it. Yeah, and you, you got to wonder. I mean, w- we have been doing this for a few years, uh, and, uh, and how I find... Uh, these innovation every time mm-hmm. they happen. I mean, it's it's really is 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 really like Christmas. I try these little new features, and uh, and uh, I'm excited. Well, I know it's it's a frustration to some people, but the way they 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 kind of bury really cool stuff, and and you don't always find out about it until somebody's taking the time to keep pressing buttons and hacking into the thing, and it's almost always the most cool things that are most buried. It's funny. Yeah. No, it's uh, well. I, I, and it's interesting how the most visible things suddenly, very often, are not that exciting. I mean, I tried. You know, Mojave comes in dark mode, so you yeah. can actually switch to dark mode, and everything becomes dark. So the first thing I did, of course, was switch to dark mode, and I kind of stuck with it for maybe three days. And I promise, when I went back to light mode, <laughs> it was such a relief. It was like, oh, okay, I'm comfortable again. I mean, I, I probably am not. I'm not that innovative, I guess. Well, it's it's funny because listening to uh, geeky podcasts, they all rave about dark mode in in applications. Never mind the operating system. And so I I will occasionally try it and doggedly you know, make the effort to be a real geek. And then I think, you know what, I don't like this and just go back to uh, the normal mode again. Well, you know, it's, uh, I guess it's, uh, it's interesting how very often geeks don't create mainstream products. I'm, I'm reading uh, the book by Adam Fisher uh, titled uh, uh, Valley of Genius, which is the history of Silicon Valley told by he interviewed more than 200 people and and the book is very interesting because it's all little snippets of uh, interviews building the story and it starts from you know way at the beginning at Fairchild and Intel and then Atari and Apple and all these revolutions and it's interesting how it's always the same people and it's always the same geeks and there was a culture there and there probably still is to some degree because m- many of the people of those days are still in charge today. And uh, I think it's interesting how on one side we here didn't really perceive the culture part. I mean, 
my parents were selling Apple computer in the seventies, and I, you know, I had posters with Steve Jobs in my bedroom in the seventies, but uh, I never really got any of the culture. We were seeing the products, but at the same time, it's interesting how this culture kept them inventing new things that were huge flops essentially because they were creating things that they thought were interesting and the truth is that the mainstream didn't they didn't particularly like jobs because he was not really a geek but jobs was actually able to see what people really wanted and uh, uh, it took a while but then at some point he got on a pretty successful streak so what, what would how does he describe the culture what were the characteristics of it well, there, there was, the, the, there is this. I mean, I've, I'm only probably a third through, but uh, there is this idea that uh, computers will make uh, humanity better, right. that computers will empower people, and that everybody will be programming. I mean, <laughs> the idea is that uh, because suddenly you can program your computer, of course everybody will want right. to do that. Of right. course everybody. So, for example, when Jobs goes to the Xerox Park uh, and see, sees the Alto, which was this amazing computer that already in the 70s had a bitmap and a mouse and laser printer, and it had uh, an object-oriented programming language called Smalltalk. So you could change the operating system in a little window as you were using it, which was amazing. And of course, Jobs went and stole everything except Smalltalk because <laughs> he didn't get it. He had no, he didn't understood what it was. At least this is how they tell the story. But the funny thing is, all these geeks are saying, "Well, you know, he left the most interesting thing on the table because mm. that would have allowed anybody to change their own operating system." And the truth is that. Nah, probably people don't want to uh, to you know program their own operating system. But people just want to, you know, like fake news on Facebook. <laughs> well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I mean, I think there's still that uh, almost a fetish around coding. You know, I, I worry that the schools in the UK, having focused on teaching children PowerPoint and spreadsheet in computing at school, sort of rightly found that. I mean, you know, that was wrong, clearly. <clears throat> but they've now lurched in the other direction to teach them coding. And, you know, I worry that we've missed the bit in the middle about effective, productive use of technology, ethical use of technology. And I guess that's where, you know, Jobs was heading, was that, you know, bicycle for the mind idea. And um, But it's also interesting just that empowering, enabling thing that the early, you know, idealist, ideologue ge geeks had... Um, which some of us still hanker after, you know, the fact that, you know, you, you're joking about the fake news on Facebook. You know, there's still so much power in the technology and the opportunity to do so much more with it than most people do. And that's, you know, that's a long way from coding it. That's just learning to, learning how to use the damn thing. Um, but, you know, people seem to be still very passive in the use of technology. And, you know, hopefully, hopefully that will change, even if they don't all become coders. Well... If you think about what tools actually allow you to do these days, so, all right, I mean, most people are not coding, but uh, a lot of people are using cameras in their phones with filters. And, and, I mean, you can shoot a movie on a phone, and there are kids all over the world doing this today. 
this is empowering them. This is mm -hmm. uh, using tools to for, for you know creative and yeah. even artistic, if you want, means. Uh, I mean, we are recording a radio show essentially uh, sitting in a, a wardrobe. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. Although and, I just, uh, I just like to point out, I'm not in the wardrobe with you, Paolo. Just in case. No, I no, no, you are in your nice house. <laughs> but we have much greener grass here than you have up <laughs> Help there. all the rain you get in Italy. That's right. Yeah, it's raining every day here. It's amazing. But yeah, I mean that that that, that thing about the, um, you know, I used to work in radio, and I still see people spending what to me seems like silly amounts of money on kit for radio and you know clearly if you're doing higher end stuff and I'm, I'm very conscious that I'm in a slightly reverberant room here and that the last time we recorded this I sounded like I was in a different place from you and I, I'll make some effort to correct that but you're right at a sort of pragmatic level we were able to record effectively um, the equivalent of a radio show and distribute it for free around the whole world you know it's, it's, it is incredible and that is as you're saying incredibly empowering it's I think my point was maybe more that there's a risk that people stay in consumption mode rather than creation. And yes, I think there's a, a whole generation who are much more adept and confident and, you know, they watch YouTubers and try to emulate them. So I think, yes, I think it is unleashing the creativity that we all hoped it would. Um, but, you know, I, I spent a lot of my time in, the, in workplaces and, you know, people's use of technology in the workplace is still just... You know, Victorian, um, and and the fact that they're not they're not allowed to use half of the cool stuff that we're talking about. Yeah, I, I think that probably one of the most visible symptoms of this is uh, how people in company use PowerPoint uh, as a container for everything. Yes. So it's uh, you know, can you send me a picture, and they will send you a photo in a PowerPoint file. Oh, no, I mean, I, I've had people send me a PowerPoint with about, I don't know, what a dozen words in it, and I'm thinking, could this not just have been an email? But I think that, in a way, it's fascinating because it means that people want to be creative and they just will use whatever tools they have True. to be creative. So, you know, and you be creative. I mean, it's not very nice, but you can be creative with PowerPoint. So, yes. you know, if, if we think that uh, we have more and more people coding computers, and on top of that, we have more and more people creating photography on Instagram, and on top of that, we have more and more people creating content on YouTube. I mean, yes, it's still a minority compared to a majority that is just consuming things, but these minorities are growing, and if you yeah. stack them all one of the other, we're slowly, slowly going there. What is for sure is not this geeky paradise where everybody wants to code their own computer, which is <laughs> that's just... That's not, not having it a hurry, no. But I think, that, I think that in a way it's, it is interesting how some companies that have more of a geeky DNA, if you want, I mean, take Google, for example, they tend to create products that are very, very cool for themselves, but that they tend to flop with people. Yes, or or some of the interfaces still are are incredibly clunky, aren't they? And or even just that they, and I've spoken about this before that that watching people I know using the computer, it's uh, it's clear that a lot of the metaphors that are to some of us who've been doing it a long time just part of how the computer works haven't become apparent 
you know, some of the things around folders and hard drives and different drives that are attached to the computer, that can still be bewildering to some people. And, that, you know, this is why iOS was such a big leap in that it sort of removed that need from the operating system. Now, OK, it's creeping back in again because that then limited some of the functionality. But I think, you know, even even just in the way information is stored and accessed on computers can still be quite opaque to, to many people. And it's because, the I guess, the geeks just didn't see that as a problem. Well, I, I guess that uh, it is... Uh, what, what I find interesting is that uh, very often you have... Uh, early generation geeks that actually hate uh, iOS because yeah. they can't use the metaphor they are familiar with, I mean, the, the file system, and uh, they just don't get it. I mean, and it's, yeah. so it's, uh, they feel that uh, power has been removed from them. And probably to a certain degree, it's true. But it's also true that the vast majority of people out there would just regularly get an email with an attachment, save the attachment, and lose it completely. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Not or, being able to find it anymore. Or, or edit the attachment while it was still attached to an email and then bury it somewhere in the mail system. Yeah, exactly. And, and I mean, I remember how the fact that you would lose all your email every three months if you were using <laughs> Outlook was just a regular thing. It's like... Uh, well, remember, I mean, remember in the old days when you had to type your emails really fast because there was no local cache and if the network went down you lost all the email exactly and it was and that was it and and <laughs> the people would just say oh well, you know if this is important i'm gonna print it i mean it's amazing how much better things are because i mean the fact that we take all these for granted that everything works uh, and for example speaking of innovation uh, they have in mojave there is the feature that allows you to take a picture uh, or or scan a document with your phone so mm -hmm. basically on your Mac, you say, insert image, your phone come alive, you point it to something, click, and the image appears in your document. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, it's not rocket science. I mean, it's, uh, it's uh, basically automating something that we were doing manually before. Yeah. But the, the moment you make this so seamless and, and, and easy you basically establish probably a new pattern. Basically, that becomes a new gesture. Yeah. That uh, people, that probably in a few years, or maybe even a few months, we will not even remember how it was before you would do <laughs> That's that. That's right. Although it's funny, you, you said that people, if things are important, they'll print them off. It fascinates me how after whatever it is, 30 or so years of domestic personal computing, printing is still such a nightmare. Uh, I mean, I, for the first time now, have a, a printer that seems to manage to stay on the network and seems to manage to respond to all the devices in the house, but that's only within the last year. And even then, actually, if the network goes down, it struggles to refine the right Wi-Fi network. Um, and so, you know, even now, there'll be times when I'll hear wails from around the house going, why is the printer not printing? There was an interview with uh, the CEO of uh, HP, which is the part of HP that... Uh, uh, does printers and he was a couple of weeks ago saying how millennials are rediscovering printing mm -hmm. in the sense that uh, young people are not familiar with the concept of printing i mean it's something they don't do they don't need to and you know why would you 
print people. So, so but now they do printing parties. So they would, <laughs> they would go to a party where there is a shared printer, and you can just print thing. And it's amazing because you can actually have Instagram on a piece of paper. And uh, I I found that idea fascinating. I mean, <laughs> people is, rediscovering print. Uh, how cool is that? Well, I don't know. My recollections were of the kids going through primary school, printing off colour documents, you know, like 30-page colour documents, and just emptying a print cartridge within half an hour. Um, so I think there are, there are varying degrees of how much they've given up. Certainly they don't instigate print, that's for sure. Yeah, I think, I think in the schools they still print stuff. But I guess the other thing is I was, after reading this article, I said, well, you know, I would like to have one of these printers that are very good at printing photos and started browsing catalogs. And apparently you can get the kind of the base printer that already has a technology to print good photos is £49. Mm-hmm. If you want to have a good one that actually has also a scanner, a modem, and whatever else is £79. So, I, I mean, if I had room in my flight, I would just buy a printer to, to, to play with it. I mean, I, I think that printers are going to are the next new thing. Mm, that's I'm bringing back horror memories of having a special, was it an Epson photograph printer that needed, you know, it was printing onto glossy photograph paper. And that, mm-hmm. that never blooming worked. <laughs> the paper would never quite be in the in the drive properly and... And then, you know, somebody would want to print out a lot of photographs and I didn't have the paper in the house. And Yeah, it's just, it's, I don't know, maybe, maybe it's just me, but printing has been the sort of constant thorn in the flesh of my, of my computing. But it's in, just going back to what you were saying about the how suddenly things become automatic and you forget how they were before, there's a degree of um, sort of ingratitude about all this as well. You know, p- people will grumble about stuff when it doesn't work and then it'll get fixed and they'll just completely forget that it was a problem. And, uh, you know, again, there's a, there's a real tendency, I think, to take for granted just how much incredible functionality. I mean, I don't know if I told the story the last time we did the podcast, but, you know, being able to sit out on the sea in my kayak uh, with a mobile signal and being able to FaceTime my mother, um, who's of an age that she's never going to get back in anything like a kayak, and just allow her to take part in that in that. And I, I sort of did it and took it for granted. And then I stopped and thought, that's incredible that I can, you know, connect with a high-definition image off the coast of England um, just by pressing a button. You know, it's phenomenal. Oh, I, I went for a walk in Kew Gardens last weekend with my mother, who was here in Italy. Oh, cool. So, yeah, it's... Uh, it's uh, I guess that mothers and FaceTime are work very well together. <laughs> Yes, I mean, it's the, it's the fact that really for the first time, I guess, families generally are, are able to just pick up a bit of technology and use it to connect with each other. Um, you know, I suppose it started with Skype, but arguably FaceTime's made that a bit easier. And, you know, that for me is one of the most exciting things about this period is that we're able to use the technologies to, I guess, foster relationships, even if we're, even if we're far apart. Or even to maintain, Rich. I mean, I... For the last three years, I've been living in a different country from my wife, and uh, and uh, yeah, you know, we, we we visit frequently, but we talk each every day, and we. It, it's interesting how often I have 
my memory is that we have been chatting while I was in the kitchen of our house in Italy. <laughs> well, actually, I was just looking through a window from my flat in That's London. really interesting. So, yeah. So the, the, this is really influencing how memory, at least my memory, is working, which is, which is quite interesting. You know, that, well, it is interesting because people still cling to the idea that face-to-face is best. Um, and I always, you know, make the, the joke that I've had some pretty disappointing face-to-face experiences, but some amazing online experiences. And But you, you're sort of touching on the fact that our memories, our consciousness, the way we take in information and understand the world um, is much less uh, concrete and fixed than, than we tend to assume. And this whole, you know, even back to the old, old idea of dream time and, and awake time blurring and what's real and what's not real. And I don't know about you, but I sometimes find myself getting quite a bad case of internet deja vu, as I call it, where some meme will come around and I think, oh, that's funny, I'll share that. And then I'll think, hang on, have I not seen that before? You know, and then I get really confused because I can't remember, have I seen it before or do I just think I've seen it before? And that whole thing about time shifting, location shifting, is is just a really interesting um, side effect, I guess, of, of these tools. Yeah, well, time is relative, and the way we perceive time is uh, can change. So we are going to become superhumans. Well, there's, there's a good note to end on, I reckon. <laughs> All right, so I think that with this we can wrap up this uh, episode, and uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. And uh, we'll, we'll see you again next time. And um, where can people get hold of you, Paolo, if they want to make contact? You can find me online on my blog, which has the URL is my family name, Valdemarin. It's V A L dot E E M A R dot I N. Uh, likewise, my uh, Twitter handle is at Ewan, E U A N, and the website is ewansimple.com. And I guess in the, in the vein of all the other podcasters on the internet these days, um, if you've enjoyed the podcast, it'd be great if you could uh, leave a review on iTunes because that helps us get more people listening. Yep, that would be very nice. And uh, if you have a friend who likes podcasts, why don't you send them a link? And of course, if there is anything you're interested in about or if you want to leave any comment, uh, there are plenty of places for you for that. See you next time. Thank you.